want you to say this after me. The word of God is truth. If I live the word, I will be blessed. If I don't, I won't. It's just that simple. Now turn to somebody and say, it's pretty simple. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Sorry about that, Brad. Sure, you didn't have that song in that key, but I, as I was standing there, as he was, as John was singing, "Great are You, Lord," I heard how He loves us. And sometimes, when you begin to worship the Lord, He begins to pour out on you what you have need of. And I believe that was the Spirit of God just pouring out on everybody who's sitting here today that God loves you. How many of you know the love of God is good? Yeah, it, it exceeds the love of man because it's unchangeable. It never gives up on us. It always makes a way where there is no way. And I don't know about you in your life, but I need God to make a way where there is no way. Lots of times for me. Amen. We're sharing a message uh, and have been for the last couple of Sundays. First Sunday, we shared on uh, hope. Last Sunday, we talked about peace. But the title of the message is a light in the darkness. Would you say that? A light in the darkness. And you know, uh, Jesus came as a light to the world. And when he came, he brought everything with him to eventually through Calvary leave with us. And so it says in Matthew chapter five, that we are now the light of the world. He was the light of the world, but because he went to Calvary, because he died on the cross, he left us the Holy Spirit. And within what he has given us, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have now become a light to the world. And uh, I remember when I was growing up, we used to go out and catch lightning bugs, they called them, you know, those little things that flicker and we'd get a jar and we'd, we'd catch them and stick them in that jar. Did anybody else ever do that? You know, and uh, you know, the more of those little lights you get in that jar, the brighter the jar blinks. They don't always blink at the same time, but they're blinking all the time in there because uh, God has given light into the world. He's given that in the believers. Everybody who knows Jesus is a light. Now, some people's lights may be blinking a little bit uh, dimmer than others, but everybody is a light. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are light. You are light. And, and even in the, the lot part of your life that seems the darkest, there is still light. And you know how that lightning bug out there in the dark in the summertime, just that little blink, you see that little bit of light because light outshines the darkness. It does outshine the darkness. And so as believers, as we continue to let our light so shine that men may glorify God by our good works, by what they see in us. That's by our light shining very brightly. And I want to read to you, um, if I can find it in here, I just thought of it. I think it's in May. Uh, this is my faith-to-faith -faith reading that I do every day. I read through this. It's, it's Kenneth Copeland. But he talks about a story in here of a man named Jerry Seville who was walking through a store. And uh, he, he, was, he, he wasn't intending to be a light, but he was a light. I don't know if I can find it. I can tell you the story, though. He was, he was going through the mall while his wife shopped. And uh, his wife was a real shopper, and he was just more of a browser. How many of you know that? You know, or just wandering till she got done. How many of you men understand that? Uh, but anyway, he was just walking in and out of stores, and and all of a sudden, a lady came up to him and said, "Would you pray for me?" And he said, "Well, how did you know that I might?" pray for you because I mean he was willing to pray for her but he didn't know why she came up to him because she didn't know him he didn't know her and she said well I was at home and 
I was praying and I asked God if there was somebody who could pray for me. And I felt like he said, go to the mall and there'll be somebody there who will pray for you. So she went to the mall and she said, I began to see this light and it was going through the mall. And so I started following that light and it led to you. That light is you. So would you pray for me? Isn't that amazing? And uh, I think Brother Copeland listed it as how do strangers see us? You know, uh, they should see us as a light. Uh, no matter what we're facing in our life, uh, the light is a spiritual light. It's not a, a natural light. But if it's in you and it's burning brightly, it will show up on the outside. You know, Moses, when he spent time in the presence of God, uh, his face shone so brightly, it says, that he had to put a, a veil over his face because the children of Israel said his face just shone so brightly they couldn't even look at him unless he put a veil over his face. And, uh, you know, I haven't ever had anybody say that about me, but I believe that we are a light. Everybody say a light. And that when we walk in, the enemy, the darkness, knows that we are there. Because that is a light that shines spiritually. And if we've stayed in his presence long enough, you'll find that people are drawn to you. Have any of you ever experienced that? You don't even know what you did. Now, there's others that are absolutely repelled by you. It's for the same reason. It's because of the light. And it has to do with a spiritual principle before it becomes out, outward in the natural. But we all have the possibility of glowing with the love and the light of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about joy. And sometimes, uh, you know, peace and hope, uh, all of these three, hope, peace, joy. And next week, Pastor Bill and I'll be sharing on love together. But when, when we live by the Spirit, those are all available to us. Because the Bible says in Galatians 5.22 that we have been given Love, joy, peace, uh, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness. All these things are in us because Jesus came and he brought that light into the world and that light lives in us. So all of the fruit of that light, everybody say fruit, uh, of that light begins to shine through our lives in every response that we have, no matter what the situation or the circumstances. And uh, Jesus said, I am, I have come to give peace to the world. Uh, the Bible says that hope is the anchor of our soul, which goes beyond the veil. It's an anchor that's locked into Jesus. Beyond the veil just means in the presence of heaven now, because when Jesus came, that veil that separated us from God was ripped apart. And now we have access to peace, access to hope, and we have access to joy, and it's on the inside of us. I don't know if any of you ever sang this song as a youngster, but my mom used to and still does play in the nursing home she's in. But uh, there was a song that said, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Well, sometimes, boy, somebody needs to notify the rest of you because it doesn't show up. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like that. if that's joy, skip me. I don't want any part of that. But, but it's down in my heart to stay, it says. You know, what God has deposited inside of us is there forever. Now, whether we tap into it and let it flow out of us is our choice on a daily basis. But Jesus came to give us his joy. And I'm going to share that in a minute. I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, to Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. And I'm going to be reading it out of the Amplified Bible. I'm just about done reading through the Bible this year. How many of you have been reading through the Bible this year with me? 
Can I see your hands? We're about there. Amen. About to the end of the race. Hallelujah. Uh, but it says in Isaiah 61, and of course, Isaiah is the scripture um, that we built this whole teaching around was Isaiah 9, uh, chapter chapter 9, verse 2, that said, a people, sat, a people who sat in darkness have now seen a great light. Uh, when, when the Lord really dropped this in my heart to do this series, I felt like it really applies to the world today. People are sitting in darkness, and they need to see a great light. But the light they're supposed to see is the church. It's not going to be uh, a government. It's not going to be a welfare system. It's not going to be a job. It's not going to be by something that man creates. It's going to be the life of God, which is that light that dispels all darkness. And the real battle of the world in all time has been evil versus good. But good is winning. Everybody say good is winning. Because my Bible says where sin abound, grace much more abounds. And we live in grace, the dispensation of grace. So we win. It's just that we have a battle. And that battle that we fight, we have to hold fast to the things that God's put in us. And this is Isaiah again speaking. In the book of Isaiah, he was a prophet. He spoke a lot about the coming Messiah. And it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed and qualified me to preach the gospel of good tidings. Everybody say good tidings. The Bible is not about condemnation. It's not about God's going to get you, which my grandma used to say to me all the time for the way I treated my mother. (laughs) Hallelujah. I was not a a really star pupil as a a teenager. And my grandmother, who was very staunch in her Christian religion, said to me, God is going to get you girls. So that was not good news. Everybody say that was not good news. It was not glad tidings. So when I thought of God, I thought of it wasn't mercy. It wasn't grace. It was like when mother would get the switch. That's kind of what I saw God as. And, and I didn't go to God for things that God could have helped me with because I didn't see it as good. Everybody say good. Good tidings, it says here. He's come to bring good tidings to the meek, the poor, the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the physical and spiritual captives, and the opening of the prison and the eye of the eyes to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, a year of his favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. How many of you know somebody who's mourning? You know, they're they're in a position where they're in that place. That's what Jesus came for. To grant consolation and joy to those who mourn in Zion, to give them an ornament, a garland or a diadem of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. Everybody say the oil of joy. Instead of mourning. Well, when that comes out of it, if you know the scriptures back in Isaiah's time, the the whole body of Christ at that time was the Jewish people. And they were in great mourning because they were in captivity. Do you know people who are caught up in drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography, wrong lifestyles, whatever they're caught up in, do you know that they really are in mourning in in the realm of the spirit? Because they're in a dark place. Everybody say a dark place. And that's where all of that lives. But, but once Jesus sets you free, you come into the light, you get the oil of joy for that, for that mourning. Or for the spirit of heaviness, you get a garment of praise. Like what we did today. And that's what it's talking about, what Jesus came. Instead of mourning the garment, expressed 
expressive of praise instead of a heavy burdened and failing spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness lofty strong everybody say strong because the bible says the joy of the lord is our is our what strength strong and magnificent distinguished for the uprightness justice and right standing with god the planting of the lord that he may be glorified that's what jesus came to make you what he came to make me what he came to give me what he came to give you no matter what your circumstance or situation god has a plan and a purpose for your life to be everything that he created you to be and so we don't want to live in that place where we have to be controlled by darkness how many of you have ever felt darkness how many of you have ever been in a situation where uh you know my husband says to me never look uh, people in the eye when they're angry with you how many of you have ever been in a situation where you could feel the darkness yeah and uh and, and so you know even though you may want to retaliate everybody say this darkness is evil and evil knows no bounds of destruction so we have to have so much light that the evil is afraid of us instead of us being afraid of the evil amen we do not live in fear because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But we have to be in that presence of God to let that light grow and grow and grow until it dispels darkness. That's what the word of God says. Light dispels darkness. In other words, darkness has to move, not the light. Amen. This is a this is good because all of us are going to face darkness. All of us face evil. But that doesn't change the joy of of the Lord that lives on the inside of us because it's something we've been given. Now, Jesus in Luke chapter four, and if you'll put that scripture up four eighteen, he, he says at this time, he's reading this word in the synagogue to all the religious people. And he gets up and he begins to quote this word of Isaiah. And he says, now the other was Isaiah prophesying now of him. This is now Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Who has? God has anointed Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. That's who he was. To preach the good news, the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken by calamity. Everybody say this. That's the job of the Christian. Not just the pastors that's the job of every believer because then jesus goes on and he says in the next verse to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the lord which is the favor of god the year of favor the day when salvation and the free favors of god profusely abound and then this is what he did it says he rolled up the book he gave it back to the attendant sat down and all the eyes eyes of all were on him in the synagogue and they were gazing attentively at him because they knew what that scripture was and he began to speak to them today this scripture has been fulfilled while you are present and hearing and i say to you today that scripture is fulfilled today in our hearing in us everybody say in me what did jesus say you go and you be the one who lays hands on the sick. You be the one who casts out devils. You be the one who bring everything that I am to everybody who needs it. Church should be an exciting place to be. Amen. 
a joyful place. But I, I, I told the first service, I remember when I was little, we'd go to church, and, and it seemed to me we went in not happy about being there, and we left glad we were going. That was the only gladness we had, is that we were over. It, it was done. Hallelujah. It wasn't praise God. Look what Jesus did. It was thank God we're out of here. And, uh, and so, you know, there, the gladness wasn't because of what the word said. The gladness was that I didn't have to sit there any longer because it wasn't a happy place. Everybody say happy. You know, when I asked uh, pastors, Jan and Brad, you know, there are worship pastors. I said, well, I just believe that, that we need to learn this song from the sister act. How many of you ever seen the sister act? Oh, I just love that, both of them. But the first one, when she's in that Catholic church and she revs up that choir and they, they sing like they would normally sing in the Catholic church, which is very choir-like. Now, I directed choirs, so I have nothing against being very, you know, choir-like and doing that. I don't have anything against robes. If I had a robe, I'd have been wearing it and dancing this morning, right? Like Whoopi Goldberg right here. <laughs> but, but, you know, so I used to wear a robe and direct choirs, but, but they're very, they're very much like a choir you would expect, very church like choir. But then all of a sudden they, they just take off and, you know, the head person, the head nun, she is like, just, I mean, she's ready to fire her right there on the spot. But when the Pope comes, he loves it. Now, you know, I know it's a movie, but I get into movies. I'm in the movie. Once it turns on, I am a part of it. And, and so I just, I, I love that movie because it says that Jesus is alive and he is happy and he is excited. And, you know, that church that had 10 people or 15 or 20, and most of them were the other nuns, eventually was filled with the street people who lived outside. It's a very good spirit scriptural principle in that first movie because they went out to the people who were around them and they all came in but the music everybody say the music became alive it became a good sound it became a sound that everybody loved boy i'll tell you i just i envision this church where when church starts got a big balcony got the organ got the whole thing going on and people everywhere dancing down through the aisles singing joyful joyful we are here I wanted to do the rap for you, but I didn't have time to learn it. I might learn it by next week. The rap that's in that song. I, I believe that God wants us to be joyful in the house. Everybody say joyful. Joyful. Like, I mean, you can't wait to get in here and you drag all those people that you know and anybody you see who looks a little downtrodden and say, come with me. This is better than the bar. You know, they got the karaoke, I call it, but it's karaoke. <laughs> My sister and I were older. We called it the karaoke. You know, we get it out and sing. But th this is better than karaoke, karaoke or whatever you call it. This is worship. Everybody say worship. And the Bible says in Psalms that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. So when we get down and we get going and we joyful, joyful. Now, next Sunday, we're going to do that again. I want you to be just a little bit more upbeat in here. Hallelujah. I mean, this, you're the choir. We're just up here leading the choir, but you're the choir. God showed me that when he took me from directing this way, directing the choir. I turned around, looked at these people and thought, forget it, and turned back around. <laughs> they don't look like they want to do this. But I want to tell you, God is a worship 
leader of his people by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads the people and they jump in the worship. And you know, sometimes I get so excited by the end when I get home, some of my parts don't work as well. But it's because when you're in the anointing, everything works good. When you get out of the anointing, it's like, wow, what did, where'd that come from? Holy cow, that doesn't work like it's supposed to. Or I get so out of breath when I used to lead worship that I couldn't even talk. We had to slow the song down to get me back on track. But everybody say, but that's a good place. Because the joy of the Lord is a place where you get strength. And you're strengthened for what you have to do every day when you get out there in the world. And how many of you know it's hard to get your joy on when you're by yourself at home? I mean, I, I'll bet all of you got up this morning and started rejoicing right when you got out of the bed, didn't you? And you sang two songs before you even got here this morning. No, probably not. But because, you know, that's not the way we're made because we came into this world. But because we've been transformed, because we've been taken out of the world and put into the kingdom of God. It says translated out of darkness into his marvelous light that when we get together, we get excited about the things of God. That's why when you get a big crowd of people in the church, the anointing of God gets so strong that the healings of God, everything that God is, begins to break out all over the place. You know, people don't go down to Joyce Meyer, those women that go to Joyce Meyer meetings. There's that huge one in St. Louis. They don't go down there and think about their laundry. (laughs) They don't go down there and think about their kids. They think about God. They think about Jesus. They think about the word. And that word takes root inside them, and they just explode in that place. Then they go home and think about the laundry. (laughs) And if they're not careful, every bit of joy they got there is still down there somewhere. That's not God. Everybody say, that's not God. That's not God. The joy of the Lord is in us. And so I want to read you these scriptures real quick in John chapter 15. Uh, You know, when Jesus announced, I am here, so the joy is here, the peace is here, the love is here, the patience is here, everything that you need is here because it's in me. Uh, It says in John 15, 11, and this is Jesus speaking now in this part of scripture, John 14, 15, 16, Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for his exit. In other words, for his uh, crucifixion. And so he's preparing them, letting them know that even though he will be gone, he will still be with them because he is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That's why he came. That's what we're celebrating this time of year. And so he was preparing them. He was telling them ahead of time, I am going to leave. But the Holy Spirit, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you the Holy Spirit and he will live in you. We will make our home in you and we will be there all the time and we will comfort you. We will be with you. Why did God say he will comfort us? Because he knew we would need it. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to need it. There are things that happen. You know, this week was, uh, this was a, a week where we had several situations uh, with Jessica and John, with little Gabriel going to heaven. Uh, Pam Thalls, we need to pray for Pam Thalls. She needs a miracle in her body. And, and there was a report that we received, and so we have to stand against that. And, and I said to the Lord, listen, you are going to have to help me here get my joy up because these things are very difficult. But I felt like God admonished me and said, your joy is not dependent on circumstances. If it were, you'll lose all your strength. Your joy is dependent upon the Holy Spirit that I put in you, and that never ceases. That oil of joy never goes away because it's from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, uh, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God is oil. 
And so that all of the Holy Spirit that we're full of is not going to be depleted. We will have joy regardless of our situation. And so in John 15, Jesus is speaking to them to let them know about joy because it's not going to be joyful in these next few uh, times that they're going to walk through when they see him at Calvary, when they see him on the cross, when they see him die. And so it says in John 15, 11, he's speaking these things in this chapter. They, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Uh, you know, you fill up your car and it's full, but then you drive it and it it goes, how many of you know, or maybe if your car keeps the gas in it all the time and never runs out, we want the same kind of car. But doesn't it go down? I mean, as you use it, joy can do that if you don't keep it full, keep it stirred up, keep living in that place God called you. So he wants it to be full all the time, not depleted. And then the next scripture is uh, John sixteen twenty. Most assuredly, I say to you, now he's speaking again. Remember, he's going to be crucified. So this scripture is about that. He says, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament. They're going to be very sad, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. What he's saying is what will look like the end is truly the beginning. Amen. And so your sorrow will be turned to joy. But the world who is very uh, joyful that he's been crucified, their joy will not last. Because what he has done has stopped the joy of the devil. How many of you think the devil rejoiced when he saw Jesus on Calvary? But then after it was over, have any of you ever heard Carmen uh, he does a song about the about when the tomb rolled the stone rolled back and out he came. That was not a joyful moment for the devil, but it was a great moment of joy for the church. And so, what we have within us is a force. Everybody say a force. You know, Brother Copeland says that in his faith, faith that joy is not just uh, like what we see as just being happy. Although it does say that happy are the people whose God is the Lord. But joy is a force. In other words, it has power to change the atmosphere, change circumstances that we're in. Not that we're joyful over the things that happen that the enemy gets done in the earth because the enemy does win some of the, the battles, but we win the war. Turn to your name and say, I win the war. He may win a few of the skirmishes, but we win the war. So this joy is not about circumstances. It's a, it's a force that we have on the inside of us. And this force changes us in the inward side of us to be strong in the Lord, even though we may be fainting on the outside. How many of you have ever felt like, I just can't do this? But then you begin to rejoice in the Lord, or you begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, and you find this strength that you didn't have in your natural being. That's that joy of the Lord that rises up from the inside. It says in uh, John 16, 24, this is the very end of that chapter, until now you've asked nothing in my name because he was with them. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then Psalm, if you're writing down these scriptures, Psalm uh, 1611 says, in your presence, you show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, we used to sing a song that goes on and says, 
Um, oh, what fellowship divine, I am yours, you are mine. In your presence is fullness of joy. Everybody say joy. The Bible says joy unspeakable, and it's full of the glory of God. You know, uh, God wants us to be his representation in the earth of the glory. And that's not anything that comes from the outside. That's what comes from the inside. Uh, I want you to turn lastly to Nehemiah 8.10. Uh, the book of Nehemiah is, um, in, in my Bible reading, it's one of the last books right before Malachi. And my Bible reading is not based on just reading through the Bible, but it's more chronological. So Nehemiah is the building of the temple, the, the walls around the temple. And uh, it, it was a very hard time. But in Nehemiah 8, uh, the people are all gathered together. And uh, Ezra, which he was a prophet, he began to speak to the people. And, and he began to read the law to the people. And uh, sometimes when we hear the word of God, uh, this can happen. It happened to me back in, in years past. Uh, when I would hear the word of God, until I repented of the sin in my life, um, at that time, I had divorced, gotten a divorce, and it was right when uh, divorce, in the year uh, that I was divorced, it became uh, what they called no fault. In other words, if, if you just didn't like somebody, you could get a divorce. That wasn't the way it was before that year. You had to have grounds, what they call grounds for divorce. But um, legally, you, you could just say, I don't want to be married to them anymore, and you'd be divorced. And so I was divorced, and in that, I could find all reasons why it would be somebody else's fault but mine. But ultimately, divorce is sin. The Bible says so. And in a, an encounter with the Lord one day, I was by myself, and God spoke to me and said, you have to repent of it in order for, the, for it to stop working against your life. Do you know sin is, is like a principle? It just works. Sin, the, the wages of sin are death. And so unless we stop it, and we stop it. Jesus stopped it at Calvary. But we stop it against our own life by repentance. Everybody say repentance. And, it, and it's, it's not a hard thing. We just say, God, forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. It was sin. But I'm on the other side. Everybody say on the other side. And so God will restore. Everybody say God restores. You know, some people hold people in condemnation forever for the things in their life. Mostly people hold themselves in condemnation for the things that they do wrong, and that's what I did. And at that point, uh, God, he, he freed me from that condemnation. But before that, every time I'd go to church, and I was raised in the church, I was a choir director in the church. I did children's choirs, adult choirs. So I liked going to church, but do you know every time i go in church, I thought they preached on that I was a sinner because I got a divorce. Everybody say the word can condemn. I mean, that's all I heard. They didn't even talk divorce, but that's all I heard sitting there because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And until you take care of him, which is to repent, everybody say repent. And I don't know why I'm on this street, but maybe it'll help somebody today. It's not your sin that's keeping you captive. It's the fact you won't repent and you blame other people for your mistake. I did it, and I stayed, I stayed caught by that thing until the day I said, God, forgive me. I didn't think I did that much wrong. How many of you have ever thought? Uh, you know, I really wasn't the problem. I mean, let me tell you about so-and-so. They were much more the problem than me. But everybody say, it doesn't matter. You have to repent to stop the work of 
sin. Everybody say, thank God for Jesus. That's why he came. See, there's a lot to celebrate this time of year that, because there's such freedom in Christ. But we have to repent. Well, the same thing happened to the Jews in Nehemiah 8.10. They had done all kinds of wrong things. Finally, they got themselves in a captivity that God arranged to put them there till they straightened up. Do you know when I finally got through two divorces and got Jesus in my heart, got my life. I've been in church all my life, but I received Christ as my Savior. God got a hold of my life. And do you know, I said, Lord, I don't want to marry anybody now, you know, because I don't want to get married again. And, and, uh, and he took me at my word. Now, I only meant that for a week or two. <laughs> I had three kids. I didn't mean it for a lifetime, you know. But... For three years, everybody say three years, he held me captive. I mean, people tried to fix me up on dates, and the people disappear. You know, one of them ran off and got married and only knew a lady two weeks or something. <laughs> it was bizarre. I mean, th- seriously, it was like God took me captive from, to protect me. Well, the children of Israel were taken captive for 70 years till they got the message. And so these prophets, Isaiah... Uh, as all of them are now bringing uh, Israel into their homeland again, and they're not going to be captives, but that's all they see. They're sorrowful. They're sad because of their mistakes. How many of you have ever been sad because of your mistakes? There's a place of sorrow that will destroy you. It's a spirit that tags on to where you were wrong, and if you don't get free from that, it will continue to haunt you. And so when they heard the law, and Ezra got up to read the law, it was supposed to be a time of rejoicing, and they're, they're sorrowful. It says they're crying. And so in 8.10, it says, Then Ezra told them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet drink. Now, this is to cel- that's celebration. Everybody say, that's celebration. And that's not condemnation. Send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. And be not grieved. Everybody say, be not grieved. Be not depressed. For the joy of the Lord is your strength and your stronghold. That's what it says in the Amplified. And see, they were crying because when they heard the word, it made them realize where they'd made mistakes. How many of you ever had that happen? Doesn't the devil have a long memory when it comes to your mistakes? He has a very short memory when it comes to telling you anything good you do. But God has a long memory of who he created you to be. And it overrides all your mistakes. As long as we keep ourselves in that place of safety or repentance. So we can have joy even though in our life we might have made a mistake or two or three, or however many. I quit counting. I just say, thank God for mercy. Thank God for repentance. Amen. Hebrews 12, and we'll close with this scripture today, says that Jesus endured the, the cross for the joy that was set before him. You know, if you do not see what God has for you way out there, if you don't see the future of what God is going to do, the goodness of God, the, the preparation that God has made for your life out there before you, then you're going to be continually thinking about what's happening now or what happened yesterday. I think that's probably the hardest thing to get over as a Christian is what happened yesterday. How many of you know yesterday can take you right down the tubes? 
it'll hold you captive. But we can't think like that. It says that Jesus, he's supposed to be our example. And if you'll put that up, Hebrews uh, 12, 1 through 3. This is, we're in a race. And it says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And that, that's just cares of this world. And the sin, the things which we've done wrong that maybe we haven't repented of, which so easily ensnare us says, easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Everybody say, when you look at Jesus, you have joy. Amen? Because he brings joy. So looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, in other words, everything that he's prepared and he's going to make happen because he loves you, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right end of the throne of God. Then the next verse says, for consider him, in other words, look at him, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Your souls are your will, your mind, your emotions. How many of you know that's an easy thing to happen? Just by circumstances, you can get discouraged. Joy will take care of discouragement. Now, I know just, I'm just like you. I don't wake up and find all these things happening and immediately start singing the hallelujah chorus. I just, I just don't have it in me at the moment. But I promise you, if you will connect yourself to worship, God will deliver you. And you will have joy. I have a CD in my car that Megan made for me. It's just an instrumental. And uh, one day I was driving to Indianapolis, and I, I put it in my CD player. Hey, Megan, I found out I don't have to do that in, the, in my car. There's a way to connect, and it'll play the things off my phone. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is great news. I tell you, technology is good if you know what to do with it. I mean, I've had that phone forever. I had that car forever. I didn't know if you could connect them. They could do something. Praise Jesus. Now I can listen all the time. Anyway, it's just a side note. Um, but I put on that, that thing, that music, and they began to play, Shout to the Lord, all the earth. And I, you know, it started out kind of slow, and pretty soon I'm humming. Now, I'm not very happy when I got in my car. But I was full of joy by the time I got down to Lebanon to have breakfast with my friend. And you know why? Because I kept playing that over and over. I just kept putting it back to that song. Why? Because it connected with my spirit and my soul became changed because of the joy of the Lord that was in my well. But I stirred it up. There, everything is in the well. Everything is in the well. The Bible says, you know, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And they used to sing about spring up a well in the old hymns. There's a well of life inside of you. There's a well of life inside of me. And joy is in there. Everybody say joy is in there. Joy brings life, brings healing, brings wholeness, brings everything that you have need of. In the darkest hour, you can stir up what God is in you. And change what is happening to you. Now, does that mean you won't cry and you'll be just fine? No, I cry sometimes even when I'm joyful because my emotions are still being healed. Everybody say healed. How many of you know emotions don't just fix like that? Have you ever had somebody say, you know, it's all in your head? Well, yippee-dee-doo, it is. 
because that's my soulish realm all up here. Say, it is in your head. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it is in your head. But your heart, but your heart is full of peace and joy and love and patience and long suffering. I don't know why they put that one in there, but if you live very long, you know we need it. Amen. Because the enemy is never going to stop. But what we have in us is a well of life. Let's stand. Father, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you that the word of God is truth. Lord, I thank you that every time we come together, you minister to us. I thank you, Lord, that you help us. And your word said, you know, where does your help come from? Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord. And he doesn't slumber or sleep. That is so good for some of you that are here today that can't sleep. God is awake too. You are not the only one. God never slumbers or sleeps. He is always there. And the Bible says, if you will call upon him, he will answer you. What do you need today? What do you have need of? We're going to call on him right now. First, we're going to call upon him that anybody in this congregation today that's not walking with Jesus, maybe you've known him in the past, but you kind of got off track. And today you want to make this your day to return. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know, I, I, I'm, I was kind of like you. I go to church. I know about Jesus, but I've never really given him permission to take over my life. I've never said, Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Take over my life. I've made a big mess, but I know that you can fix it. I can tell you this for certain. There is no person who can deliver you from evil. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. If that's you today and you're here and you say, well, that's me. I I need to come back to the Lord. Or you're here and you say, you know, I want to make that decision today. I'm going to give my life to the Lord and let him do what he can do with it. Is that you? If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you're standing this morning? I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm going to take that to mean everybody here knows where they're going to spend eternity. Because the Bible says if, you, if, you've, if you've received Christ, your spirit will bear witness with the spirit of God that you're saved. In other words, something inside of you says, I have no fear of where I'm spending eternity. Let me see the hands of those who know. I know where I'm going. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. 
to learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.